Hello, everyone. This is Mike Springston from Mike Springston FFC Podcast, and I'm here to coach you in the Word. Today, we're looking at part four of why is the evidence of the Spirit essential? Uh, We've done three parts on this. I hope you're following along with us, and um, we have enjoyed sharing this message to you. We think that it may be the most important message and series of teaching that we have ever done with regard to how we should be interacting and walking in the Spirit. Well, I want to encourage you to contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministry.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's Facebook messaging. We would love to hear from you and communicate with you. And uh, so if you feel uh, the need to do so, we'd love to hear from you. Let's begin with a word of prayer today. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the word of God is saying to us. And then may we apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear son. Now, Father, we sanctify ourselves, yield ourselves, and surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would allow Jesus to speak to the Holy Spirit And as he speaks to us, may we receive it and then release it to your people for the uplifting and edification of your children. Bless us now, I pray in the lovely name of Jesus as we receive the benefits of your precious salvation. In Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead's name. Amen and amen. Well, we're talking on why is the evidence of the Spirit essential. Today we're going to begin with James 4 and 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So there is a wisdom that comes from above. That wisdom is pure, That wisdom is peaceable. That wisdom is gentle. That wisdom is easy to be entreated. It is easy to be received. It is easy to walk into it. Because it is from that pure wisdom that we receive mercy and good fruits. Now that is done without partiality and without hypocrisy. This is important information. From that pure wisdom comes the ability to do something that is completely astounding if you understand how pure, how pure wisdom becomes peaceable, gentle, how poor a pure wisdom becomes easy to be entreated, full of mercy, and brings about good fruits. That's interesting, isn't it? Isn't it? And then that is also impartial and without hypocrisy. We identify easily with all of those other areas, the purity, the peacefulness, the gentleness, the mercy, the good fruits. But do we understand what the words impartial and without hypocrisy mean? Impartial means equal treatment of all rivals or disputants, fairness. Hypocrisy means the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform So what is James 3 saying? He is saying that there are good fruits 
There is peace, gentleness, things that are easy, easily entreated, that are full of mercy and good fruits, that come from God without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace to them that make peace. Well, he's saying he's fair and equal to all. And he works for all. And that includes those who profess but do not possess the real fruit of righteousness. So righteousness is sown in peace so that it can make peace for mankind. Now let's explore somewhat more deeply. So since he is equal in his benefits to man, and since he offers righteousness to those who profess but do not possess, it appears that there is no separation between true righteousness and true righteous believers and those who are living in that kind of being a believer. We would think God deals with all of us the same. That's the way it appears. The implication is that we can live by any standard we choose, profess to believe, and that he's bound by his word to treat everyone the same and provide for everyone equally. Well, if you look at it from that alone and you leave it alone right there, you could, you could see where there could be truth. There's kernels of truth there. There is no doubt that he is faithful, 2 Timothy 2.13 said, and if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. But there is more, my friend. There is more. Because when uh, James makes this statement, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy. And that wisdom is full of good fruits. He's saying that there's a reason that things are coming out of you. There's a reason that the benefits of salvation are being expressed to you. I've said this before. We don't need to worry about God's blessing. We need to live in God's benefits. We need to live in the benefits of salvation. So there is a way for us to get into, receive, and manifest the benefits of salvation. Let's look at 1 Peter to see if he may have some answers. 1 Peter 5 and 7, Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourself expresses the mechanism of being yielded. To whom you humble yourself is very clear. You humble yourself to God. When one professes without possession, they are remaining in two concerning positions that do not flat, reflect them being humbled to God. Number one, they continue to serve the expressed enemy of God. Where are they doing that? In their mind. How do we know that? Because out of that mind that is serving evil comes acts and deeds that are done for the enemy's purpose. But we quoted to you yesterday that the Word of God declares that everything we do in word or deed should be done in the name of Jesus Christ. So our actions should reflect our, His Lordship. But yet, when we live an unhumbled life before God, we are expressing in our behavior, acts, and deeds the purposes of the enemy. Number two, when this occurs, man becomes his own God. They serve and satisfy themselves first. Now let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 is an interesting verse. 
casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, here comes the real expression of exactly whose you are, who you belong to. How you live is a reflection of who you belong to. Who you humble yourself to is a reflection of who you belong to. Now, it is that individual that God is absolute, absolute in his faithfulness to. There are going to be times when, as an, when, when knowing that I am purchased with a price, living for God, loving God, that I'm going to come up against things that rattle and shake my faith. But yet, he is faithful. When the scripture that I read for you just a moment ago from 2 Timothy 2.13 uh, was penned, that is not penned to say that because a believer chooses to speak the word of God, God is bound to that, that word. That is mean to say to you that as a believer, as a lover of Christ, if you run into faith blocks and times when your faith is shaken, that he is faithful nonetheless. And therefore, in your times of hurt, concern, stuff, uh, stumbling, your time when your faith may be shaken, he is still faithful to do what he promised he would do. So when we come to the understanding that we humble ourselves before him, and we can then cast all our care upon him. Now, we identify whose really we are. Are you able to yield yourself in life to the Spirit so that it produces the walk in the Spirit? Are you able to live your life in the Spirit so that you can produce the walk in the Spirit? If you remain in natural conventions, that means if you remain doing things out of your intellect, through your natural tongue, then it's possible that you are absolutely eternal, but your mind has not been trained concerning casting all your care upon him. When your mind is left unguarded then, because you have remained in your natural conventions, there are many inroads and opportunities for the enemy not only to exist in you, but to persist in his attack upon you. Natural conventions mean your prayer life remains spoken in means that you can understand and control. This natural convention edifies the natural side of your thinking and stimulates your natural imaginations. The process, of course, because it remains in the natural, doesn't cast any care on him because it is self-centered. It reflects a preoccupation with you and your needs. It's often list-oriented and in reality brings no change concerning any of your needs because you remained in the natural in the intellect in order to get to the places you need to go. You need to understand that there must be a yielding to the Spirit of God. Your prayer life, your worship life, your meditation life should take you into the Spirit of God. Now, why is this going to happen? Because if you do not, you simply remain in the natural. There's no yielding or surrendering to the Spirit, so the Spirit can help you with your weakness. So the Spirit can help you with your prayer. God is faithful to help and to call into service the Holy Spirit to help you when the one praying is able to cast his cares upon him. Now what's casting? 
It means to throw upon. We're throwing the areas of ourselves that can be distracting. What would that be? It would be our minds, thoughts, and imaginations. We can cast down all of our vain imaginations and thoughts in the natural and enter into the spiritual. Here we find the care of our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. This, my friend, is the element that the professing without confessing cannot do because their mind is ravaged with the inroads of the devil. It is distracted by every conceivable uh, distraction of the world, everything from food to time to family to jobs to money to the buffet bar. We become distractible if we want to remain in our natural mind. We must yield our mind to the mind of Christ, get in the Spirit, be able through doing so to cast our cares upon Him. Here's the thing I love about praying in the Spirit. When I'm praying in the Spirit, I'm not praying after a natural mind, so I'm not bringing up natural things. I'm speaking to God directly in the Spirit man. I am telling God directly in the spirit man the exact things that the Holy Ghost is going to capture and begin to support that is going to bring about the thing I really want, the will of God to be produced and pronounced over me. Look at verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. What are we being sober and being vigilant about? Well, that would be our mind. My friend, I've taught you, enlightened or eternal, strengthened in your personality by the mind, in the mind with the seven spirits of God. Look at verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We must resist all inroads and imaginations that would distract us from his care. The only way to do that is to yield ourselves to the Spirit and to begin to pray in a non-natural convention. That is the evidence of the Spirit of God. We begin to speak in a tongue that evidences the Spirit of God operating in our inner man, working through our mind. The Holy Spirit himself captures that, begins to take over our weakness, and helps us to pray until the very things that we're praying over become, according to Romans chapter 8, all things that work together for good to us because we, the, the will of God is revealed to us from that prayer. We need to resist in faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But verse 10, the God of all grace. Now watch what I'm about to say here. The God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that, ye have suffered a while. Now watch what he does. He makes you perfect. He establishes you. He strengthens you. And he settles you. Now look at this. When you yield, when you got saved, you yielded to the grace of God. Grace has exposed and enlightened your eternal side to the glory of God by or because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We have suffered with the development and the training of our mind to become the personality of Christ. Now in that, we have become perfect in spirit and in mind due to the joint efforts 
that consisted of our efforts to balance our inner man with ourself and the Holy Spirit. And we are established, strengthened. Then we are settled. For what purpose? To go to the next step. Where is that next step? Shows up in verse 11. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Before we expose this, we must make sure you see upon whom this eternal work is accomplished. In the scripture that we're referencing from 1 Peter chapter 5, in that scripture, the man, the person that we are referencing must be understood. Who has had this eternal work accomplished in them? You must know who has been made perfect by the grace of faith of an eternal work that has occurred in your inner man. We must identify what and who has been strengthened and settled. This is the believer, my friend. It's the believer who has yielded. Now that believer, having been made to be eternal, having been made perfect in his inner man, has been strengthened and settled in his mind. At this point, there is a dominion factor. There is a dominion factor and a glory factor that unfolds for the believer. This believer can now be assured that he can cast all his care upon Jesus Christ, his high priest, his Lord, and his man in the Godhead. And then the glory and dominion of the very God who has made you eternal and who has strengthened you and who has allowed you to engage with him has brought you into the dominion and the glory of God so that from that dominion, your faith, your grace that was brought about by your faith has allowed you to cast every care on him, and he does so forever and ever, and amen. So be it. Man who yields his care to the spiritual nature then lives in the things that Jesus promised that he personally would give them in the book of John between John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. Here Jesus said that he would give you peace joy, the spirit of truth, and the glory that belonged to Jesus. These would all reside in us because they would be given to us by our man who is in the Godhead bodily. Now, what does yielding sound like then? Here is what we know. It is not natural. It comes from a position in the core of the brain. It is not natural in that we speak it in English. It is a message and a language that speaks directly to the glory and the dominion of God. That language enters us into the heavenly conversation. We know that that yielding is supported by the Holy Spirit. We know that that yielding that is supported by the Holy Spirit produces the will of God because it causes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord. It expresses then our love. 
It expresses our calling. It expresses our purpose that we must fulfill in the plan of God. It is a manifestation that shows us that the love of God is an inseparable connection to our eternal and personal side because we can engage directly with Him. Now, if we want to talk about once in grace, always in grace, and the factor that ensures our eternal personality, the enlightenment of our eternal side, the strengthening of our personality, and the engagement in the activity that is the heavenly conversation with God, then we can talk about the inseparable love of God that connects us to God so that we are engaged directly with Him. Now we've got the once in grace, always in grace factor. Without it, my friend, we are living under the attack of the enemy and living in the situation where the inroads of the devil are coming into our vain imagination. So, wherewith this then does there arise an issue in the church? Well, that arises because to the unbeliever, now I want you to gather my term there, the unbeliever, the message that is given in tongues in the church or that is spoken by the individual in his secret place sounds out of tune. These unbelievers are not necessarily the lost, however. They are those who have not come into the understanding of the glory that our man in the Godhead seeks to release that can only be done through this means. So let's see what the scripture says concerning the thoughts and the intents of man. Because even though it may sound out of tune to you, whether you are, uh, have been born again and are an eternal individual or whether you are absolutely lost, this thing may sound out of tune to you. But watch what Hebrews chapter 4 said. Verse 12, for the word of God, the word of God, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Where is this thing working? It's working internal. It's coming through the internal to the external and of the joints and the marrow. Now watch. And is, the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the spirit. So this thing is working out of our spirit through our mind and speaking in thoughts and intents that only God knows. Now, if I speak in my conventional language, everybody knows what I'm thinking. Everybody knows when a fool opens his mouth. But in the spirit world, outside of the natural world, God knows. Look at verse 13. Neither is there any creature that's not manifested in his sight, but all are naked and open to him, unto, uh, open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. What's open to him? Our thoughts and our intents. How are our thoughts and our intents expressed to God? They are expressed through the language. They're spoken through the language. We need to yield. So what sounds foolish to you are words that he knows with precision. He knows what it is that you are saying. He knows what it is that you're doing and what it is that you are thinking. And in that, 
you are being edified in the spirit man for having direct communication and conversation with the God of the universe, with our man in the Godhead. It may sound foolish in the natural. It may sound like you don't understand it in the natural, but God understands it. God understands exactly what you're saying. And the Holy Ghost captures that, and he strengthens it. He strengthens it, my friend, until the will of God comes out of it. He knows exactly what's in you with such definition that when the spirit in the inner man comes forward, you have manifested to him who has the eyes to see directly into the nakedness of your inner man and into the nakedness of your thoughts. But because you have humbled yourself to him, because you have brought yourself to him, he has made you perfect, strengthened you, established you, and settled you so that you can live in the dominion and glory of God. He knows you. He knows your intentions. So when we speak, what we are doing is showing a yieldedness. When we speak, we speak directly to him. When we speak, we're expressing the openness of our inner man. Now, what does all that mean? Well, when we speak in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit captures he knows how to pray for us in ways we do not even begin to know how to pray. We think when we speak in language and we pour out our heart in English to God that we have given God everything that he needs to know. That's not so. We really don't know how to pray according to Paul. But the Spirit knows how to pray for us. So if we are going to worship God, get into the plan of God, get into the praise of God, understand the word of God, it is all going to come by divine revelation. It's going to come by getting out of our natural convention and going into the spiritual convention. Now watch. Romans 8 said, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. We all are spiritual people waiting for that manifestation. Verse 20, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Our inner man is subject to wanting to love ourselves. Why? Because we do that after our father, the devil. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Well, now we see an eternal action has happened on the inside of us and we have been enlightened. We are made free by that spiritual enlightenment. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now. We were separated and in a struggle in our inner man until now we met by the Holy Spirit, grace through faith, and believed on the name of the Son of Almighty God. Verse 23, and now, and not only they, but ourselves also, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves grow within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. We were stuck with what Adam did, but now we have the first fruits of a new spirit. Verse 24, for we are saved by hope, that hope is seen, that if, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? Our eternal man has been born again. Therefore, we no longer look for a Savior for the purpose of life eternal. It already belongs to us. Now we seek the manifestation of the mind of Christ. 
We develop that with the seven spirits of God. Then we move into the engagement directly with God where we move out of the natural and into the spiritual. Verse 25, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Now, saved and filled with the hope, we look deeper. We wait on the mechanism to attach our faith that will take control of our personality and move us into a totally renewed mind. We're strengthened by the personality of Christ. Now look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now then, we have moved through the enlightenment and the strengthening stage, and we begin to engage with the Spirit. He comes alongside to help us. When does he do this? All day and every day. He is not random in his presence or in his attendance. When we begin to speak the language of a heavenly conversation, he is right there to help. We're incapable of expression from our natural mind. We are incapable of expressing from our natural mind the things that are required to communicate effectively with God. Who has instructed him from their natural side? was a question for 1 Corinthians 2.16. But we have the mind of Christ to speak directly to God from the Spirit. We do not know how to instruct Him as to how best to meet our needs, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We worship from the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit. We listen in the Spirit. We receive in the Spirit. Everything is done by divine revelation. Tongues are the evidence of our position, and He begins to do for us things that we cannot instruct, that we cannot see or ask through natural conventions. How does He do it? Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, He does it by the power that works in us. He takes our quiet speaking which is the conversation of heaven. And he utters things to God concerning us that we find as being unspeakable by our own convention. Now, if we remain unyielded in our natural tongue, we find those things unspeakable. Think about that. Verse 27, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He finds the answers to the things that are being exposed in our inner man, according to Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. Now our evidence is critical because it frees the Holy Spirit to make intercession and to do so in such a way that the will of God for us is touched. If it is touched and addressed, then my friend, it is exposed. If it is exposed, then... It belongs to us. We can release it and, and manifest it. Now watch what happens when it's exposed. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, love God, and to them who are the called according to His purpose. From this evidence, my friends, we have engagement. From this engagement, we have assurance. From that assurance, what, what do we have there? We know then that all things have, have been worked out by the will and plan of God to be made good to us. Why do we know that? 
because from the strengthening of our personality, if from Ephesians 3.19, the love of God emerged. When the love of God emerged in us, it emerged from us, and it emerged to God. From that brought Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Verse 19 said unto them, the love of God, the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled, now watch this, filled with all the fullness of the Godhead. The love of God has been developed in our enlightenment and from our strengthening has now gone past the training of the seven spirits of God and into the express fullness of God. This fullness is pure, it is perfect, and then it becomes an engagement with and in the spirit where you get out of your natural conventions of English and begin to speak in a heavenly language. For whom he did foreknow, Paul said in Romans 8, 29, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are conformed to the image of Christ in our eternal man and in our personality. And in our creative being, all of that is done by the Holy Spirit. He was first, but we being his brethren are made partakers of the divine nature. My friend, you can speak in the Spirit directly to the man in the Godhead. He will speak in the Spirit directly to you. This will change your life if you will recognize the importance of the evidence of tongues, the evidence of the Spirit manifesting itself in you. If you will begin to yield your mind to the Holy Spirit. He will take you places you never dreamed you could go. He will do, accomplish things in you you never dreamed you could accomplish. He will reveal things to you you absolutely didn't know. He will make a way where it appears to be no way, and the Spirit of God will guide you and lead you into an eternal truth that will manifest itself in your natural life. Yes, my friend, the most important message I've ever given is that if we will follow the evidence of the Spirit of God, we can go into the conversation in heavenly places where we've been made not only accepted but seated, and we can hear directly from our man in the Godhead concerning our needs. And then we can say with Paul, My God has supplied all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Father, I thank you for the word of God. Bless your word and bless your people. Bring this to our understanding. May we forever live in the image of your dear Son. In Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, our man in the Godhead's name, amen and amen and amen. May God richly bless you. We'll look forward to hearing you moving forward in worship and prayer in the convention of the heavenly language. God bless you until we speak again.